0: Welcome to the Veteran Power Hour. Today is Friday, February 4th, and I am your host, Matthew Benko. I repeat, welcome to the Veteran Power Hour here on Monco Radio. Today officially is the sixth show for the Veteran Power Hour. If you're listening to it live broadcast. On Monco Radio from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Fridays, thank you. If you're listening to it via the podcast, an accessible podcast, thank you for that. We are now, the Veteran Power hours officially on the Apple Podcast app. Um, in addition, it is it will be continued to be accessible via Spreaker, which that's, that's what I use to manage the recorded podcast services, which then pushes it out to Apple and Google Podcasts, etc., So thank you for your time. Thank you for making the effort to download it or come to Monco Radio directly and listening to it on 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have a great show here today. I'm really excited for you to hear the conversation that I had with our featured guest. And I'm going to keep it a featured guest for now because I want the thank you for your service portion to provide the introduction to 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 our featured guest this week. After thinking about and processing my conversation with this week's guest on thank you for your service portion of Veterans Power Hour, the takeaway for me was leadership. And, you know, I thought about how leadership is easy, easy to explain. It is not easy to practice. But when we hear people's experiences where they've exercised their qualities and what they brought to the table as a leader, it helps us become Better leaders, um, when the, when the, when those opportunities present themselves, okay, and and I'm talking about opportunities to lead formally and informally. So I just leave it at that. I'm just, you know, I just want to share the the takeaway with that. So that that brings me to the thought of the week or the or the, and the motivating thought of the week. Okay, I I read this out of a book that I'm currently reading, and after again the the interview that you will hear you will hear shortly on the thank you for your service portion helped me reflect on this quote a little bit and and I want to share it with you today okay so it is be brave in times of crisis be perceptive in times of defeat and be humble in times of success so this quote directly speaks to the conversation you're going to hear shortly Um, and, and it reflects on this individual's experience and 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 what what this person shared the quote is from the book titled be a work in progress and it absolutely speaks to the hopeful wanderer piece that i've talked about in previous episodes and you might be surprised as i was who the author is Okay, I'm gonna play a sound clip that highlights who it is, and then uh, I'll I'll close this. I'll close up the opening portion, and we're transitioning right into the thank you for your service portion. Hmm,
1: looks like you're getting a call from someone.
0: And his name is John Cena. That's right. That was John Cena, the WWE wrestler for the past two decades now author and actor as well. It just speaks to an individual's range that they have regardless of their profession and their 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 career background. The same speaks to veterans as well. Veterans have an incredible range, whether they are aware of it or not. So that is why I shared that. And keep that in mind with the Veteran Power Hour. And as we transition into... thank you for your service interview. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to staying connected with you via the Veteran Power Hour. Thanks. Welcome to the thank you for your service segment of today's Veteran Power Hour. I'm really excited to announce today's featured guest. She was sworn into her first term as a state representative on January 4th, 2021 in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. She serves the 147th Legislative District in the great state of Pennsylvania and the great Montgomery County. She is a United States Army combat veteran who retired from the military after 26 years of both active and Reserve Service. Pennsylvania State Representative, Tracy Pennycook. Thank you for being here today.
2: Hey Matt, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. This is gonna be fun.
0: Oh, uh, well, when when you reached out to me and your office reached out to me, I, I couldn't tell you how excited I was to have you on the show for us to reconnect, but also just have you on the show because you have an amazing military background and what you're doing as as the Pennsylvania State Representative Now for us, it's, it's great. So we talked a little bit before the show, before we we went, um, actively recording, you know, um, and the thank you for your service portion represents, uh, the portion of the show where we just highlight your, your, uh, your military service and talk about what it means to be a veteran, because it is very dynamic. It's very unique to the individual, but there's also a lot of, of shared experiences we have. So, um, I just you're gonna hear me say thank you a lot today. So uh, <laughs> thank you for being here. And we'll we're, we're start off say, hey, you know, what branch serves? We want to hear your story because your your bio is amazing. But it, it's always better when we hear it r- right from the right from the veteran themselves.
2: So I started off enlisted. I enlisted in 1984 as a medic. Um, I was an EMT as a civilian. I, college wasn't for me. Didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Joined the military, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, but being enlisted was a little painful. You make no money. Um, I had a faulty enlistment, so I went from active duty to reserve status after a year and went back to school and earned my commission as a second lieutenant and went aviation and became a Black Hawk pilot. Oh. So that that was always my... Um, my dream job I got a um, my dad won at a raffle a helicopter ride when I was nine and that was just kind of like the I don't know that was just like the highlight of my life I'm like okay this this is really fun this is really cool so um I became an aviator and I loved it every minute of the day I would have paid the army to let me fly
0: oh wow that that that's that's really cool to to have access to that and 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 do that because um, in my Air Force background, I'm a career enlisted aviator, so I know exactly what, what were you talking, I could relate absolutely to that. Um, what, what was the, uh, what was the motivation at the time when, when you enlisted, um, then what, what, what was the arm, what was the driving force there for, for the army?
2: I knew I needed some discipline and some structure and I, my brother was an ROTC. I just wasn't ready for that. I just kind of needed something to kind of give me some motivation to kind of get my ducks in a row and figure out what I wanted to do. And I love the structure of the military. I loved the um, known requirements if you will um it was just very structured and I liked that and I loved the challenge of being in the military the physical part was easy of course it's a lot easier when you're 18 than when you're you know in your 50s but um it was just easy and it was fun and I love the camaraderie um I loved being in the um, medic course town in San Antonio Texas um I just I loved being in the service. I love the challenge of it all. Um, you know, I went in when women weren't open to combat arms, women, you know, had very supportive roles in combat service support, but were not in combat arms. So it was always, I don't wanna say I wanted to push the envelope, but I always wanted to push the envelope. I always wanted to be like, okay, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. That's the standard, but I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna push that envelope. So um, I became a flight medic when there were a few female flight medics. Um, and I just loved it. I really did enjoy the challenge of it. And, um, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I really needed that structure and it really kind of put me on a path that I would have never in a million years dreamed of that I would end up 26 years later. I was going to spend four years, be done, get on with my life. And 26 years later, I was like, okay, it's time to get on with my life.
0: Oh, wow. So, so in your, in your first enlistment and, you know, um, in Enlistments are usually four years to six years, as, as we know. That That's when you made the transition um, for, from going enlisted to being an officer?
2: So I did the simultaneous membership program. I, I moved to the reserves after a year of active duty because my enlistment was um, in, drawn incorrect. The, the legal part of it was wrong. So they put me in the reserves. So I served a total of four years enlisted. And at the same time I was enlisted in the reserves I did ROTC at the University of Missouri at Columbia so at the end of the 4 years I you know graduated from college and had my um commission as a second lieutenant
0: Oh wow oh great that that's that's uh that's an interesting uh we talk a lot about on the veteran power like a- access points you know and being empowered yeah. to 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 do that. So that that's a great story because I I I I'm making an assumption here but I think a lot of um, enlisted soldiers and enlisted across all branches of service may not be aware of that option.
2: It, it's a great option. Um, I had taken a couple of college classes while I was on active duty, and it was hard. Yeah. It was just hard to navigate. And, and you know, back then they didn't have online classes. You had to go to the, you know, on post Um, classes. It just was difficult. And um, it just made sense to do the reserves while I was doing college. It helps financially. And um, it really worked for me. Yeah, Uh, I enjoyed both kind of both you have the enlisted, I think any officer is a better officer when they've been enlisted first, because they kind of have that understanding, you know, and they also never do anything. You know, I always tell my um, used to tell my soldiers i'll never ask you to do anything i wouldn't do myself so if that's folding blades till three in the morning getting an aircraft ready to be shipped overseas or you know taking your turn burning the uh, human waste from the latrine yeah um, whatever it is you got to do it because that's what a good leader does they don't just leave the crap work to their soldiers so um i got a lot of um street cred with my soldiers because they knew I had been there and they knew that I wasn't going to ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself.
0: Yeah. It, it sounds like, you know, a quote that comes to mind when it comes to to leadership. A good leader knows the way, shows the way and goes the way. You know. Right. And and, right. and it sounds like and, and th- those are the best leaders because they're not they just don't. talking about it, they're being about it. <laughs>
2: right. And you know, um it's funny. I I spent some time at the Naval War College um in my career and I went into the the cafeteria, you know, just to grab some breakfast and the entire room jumps to attention and I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, there must be a general behind me. Yeah. And then I realized that they were standing at attention for me. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no no. Yeah. no, 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 I am a nobody. You need to be eating your breakfast. You're the biggest resource we have is our, our enlisted soldiers. We cannot do anything without our soldiers. And taking care of them first is the only way to go. You you got to make sure they're well cared for, Um you know, best equipment, best food, best resources, their families are taken care of. That's what a good leader does. And um, I think some of that archaic, um, you know, being fed by an enlisted soldier when you're in, on a Navy ship and some of that stuff is nuts. Um, and that's just not how I roll. But I guess it's it was good in its time. But that time has passed.
0: Yeah. Kate can, can you talk a thanks for sharing that because that it's it's really it's always good to hear the the perspective for, for, from a leader who has that experience because it, it is empowering because it it helps shape the next generation of leaders as as well you know not yeah. just talking about it but you know having that example to, to to model themselves after um um can you talk a little bit about your what what we like to do here what we really like to talk about the the, the details of the MOS training and, you know, of, of, of the training you had. So from being a flight medic to all the way up to being a Black Hawk pilot, what, what were the training bases you went to? What was that like? How, how did it go? How was your training? You know, initially you talked about how your training as um, um, enlisted was, but how did that change when you became an officer and what was your perspective with that? And what, what bases were you at? What parts of the country?
2: So enlisted, you know, it's, um be here at a certain time you're living in the barracks you've got a sergeant who's kind of running your life your platoon when you're a lieutenant and you show up to flight school which is at fort rucker you're like on your own like you're showing up for formation you're showing up for class you have a class leader who kind of manages things but on the weekends you're free now back then you went to class with warrant officer candidates who were under the thumb of drill sergeants and, you know, having to stay in the barracks, whatever. Um, but lieutenants kind of ran their own schedule. You studied on the weekends on the beach in, you know, Egland Air Force Base, Destin, Florida. And, uh, you know, you you went to the Oak Club on a Friday night and talked about how you defied death that week and with all the other lieutenants. And it was uh, very much a party atmosphere. Very much a, I mean, you work hard, but you play hard. Um, you start off with you know basic flight um, information and learning classroom stuff before you even get in the cockpit. and then you get in the cockpit and you've got to learn all the switchology and you've got to be able to do it blindfolded and you have to be able to, you know navigate um, the map. you have to be able to um, handle your whiz wheel figuring out um, you know the efficiencies of your engines and all that is in the background while you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, I've got a collective, I've got a cyclic, how do I make this work? Um, so there's some tense moments in the beginning. You know, They take you to this ridiculously huge field um, when you're trying to learn how to hover and you think, oh, I've got this. And then yeah. you're starting to rock front and back and it's just a disaster. And then at the end of flight school, you, know, you literally can hover with the trees four inches away from your blade and you're not hitting the tree at all. And um, to see the progression is so much fun, but it's tough. It is. Um, it's not easy. Um, it requires a, a tremendous amount of math, a tremendous amount of studying. But the, everyone's there to help you out. I mean, it's very much a cooperate and graduate kind of attitude. You have a stick buddy, and if your stick buddy's, you know, not pulling his weight, boy, those are tough conversations. Dude, yeah. <laughs> you got know? to you, you got to pull your weight and make sure you know the the um, desktop questions and you know you got to be able to ready to answer anything you're not just sitting in the back sleeping so yeah. it's a lot of fun though it really is
0: oh wow oh that's that's great and and i know like becoming an aviator and a pilot you know just aviation in general it's one of the longer from start to finish
2: uh it is it's training like over-
0: and I was gonna ask you, so how, how long was training from like start to finish? So, so well uh, um the, the flight medic school, how, how long was training for you with that?
2: So flight medic school was four months. Okay. And it was great. I mean, I had already become a certified EMT and it's basically just um the military's version of an EMT course. And then the flight medic portion um was just an additional, I think it was an additional four weeks. Um, and I don't even think they do it anymore, but, um, that was a lot of fun. Just, just even to be close to aviation at that point was a lot of fun. Um, and those medevac pilots are amazing and I've never been a medevac pilot, but they, they just do it all in bad weather. Um, when you're getting a medevac call, you're going out in the, in the soup, if you will, and, and picking something up. So, um, it was, i i want to say it was an additional four weeks um it was a long time ago and um and then flight school is over a year so you moved down to fort rocker your whole life is at fort rocker um and i did my black position at fort rocker as well so it was pre graduation you you finish um your basic your instruments um your air combat tactics and then you go Go to your, you know, whether you're um, flying Apaches, whether you're flying Blackhawks, 58s, Chinooks, that's you would go to your transition school um, right there. And then you'd all come back together and graduate as a class. So um, you leave flight school with like 100 hours, which isn't much, but then you get back to your unit and then, you know, the real training starts. So that's kind of the
0: tough part. So how how many? I mean, you just referenced. You know, you got a hundred hours coming out of flight school, um, out of Fort Rucker. How many hours over over your twenty six year period have did did you have?
2: I have thirty three hundred hours.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that's. I
2: know, which is kind of crazy, but in the reserves, you fly a lot. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of active-duty missions, um, and you fly a lot, which is great. As you get up in rank, obviously, you don't get to fly as much unless you're smart and bring your flight gear to Afghanistan. And then you find a buddy that you went to flight school with who's a battalion commander, and he lets you jump in and it sounds like- give one— his- some rest but you know how that goes uh, it know. sounds
0: like you're speaking from experience <laughs> uh, yeah, <maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like <I> was, that's
2: <laughs> to fly. i i don't i don't fly a desk well i don't like doing staff work so any opportunity to get into a cockpit i was all over it um and it was different Afghanistan you know you try to give those guys a little bit of relief so they can get some sleep because they were short-handed and my co-pilot I was actually his co-pilot. He was the pilot in command. He was like, "Ma'am, you look very old. I'm like, dude, today's my 40th birthday. Uh, Like not old. Yeah. I'm just getting warmed
0: up. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like this 22 year old kid. And I was like, Oh, you could be my kid. Scary. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it was fun to, to fly. And um, you know, regardless of where I am, I love to fly, whether it's Korea, whether it's, um, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, I just, I love to fly.
0: Oh, that's great. That, that, uh, because I just, you know, want to comment on that because I imagine your, your flight legs aren't. I mean, what, how, what's the range of a helicopter? So, for, from the time you, you start engines to the time you land, like, how long is that sortie? You know,
2: it honestly depends. Um, Afghanistan, because it was so cold, you'd get more efficiency out of your engines. Yeah. So, you could go for a couple hours. You have external tanks, you can go up to five or six.
0: Okay. That's still relative. So to, and I'm just putting in perspective to our, our listeners, how, you know, five, six hours, you know, it, it takes a lot of work, especially in the reserve status to get up to, you know, over 3000 flight hours. So that's, that's just wanted to acknowledge that that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Is it, you know, um, and you know, you, 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 you already touched upon a little bit where the military service has taken you. I, and I always like to ask, where's the military service taking you stateside and internationally? over this over the course of 26 so years
2: so I um I was stationed at Scott Air Force Base that was my first um reserve unit then I went over to Belton um uh, Missouri to a group headquarters from there I went to um the McDonnell Douglas now Boeing Apache plant as a production safety officer from there I went to the Pentagon um not very much fun because I was a major and in, in uh, boy, you do a lot of legwork when you're a major at the Pentagon, yeah. um, you're like a total nobody. Then from there I went to, um, I was a brigade S one for a training division down in Alabama. From there we went, um, back to the Pentagon where I served as an executive officer to a three star. Um, and then I did back to back tours, Iraq and Afghanistan and then after that, I came back stateside, and I was at um, Research Development and Engineering Command, and then I finished out my career in London as a foreign liaison to the Ministry of Defense, representing JIEDO, which is the Joint Improvised Explosive Device Defeat Organization. Oh, wow. And then I retired.
0: How about, well, that's a lot, I, I, I've... Oh, I, and I, did
2: two tours in Korea. Sorry, I forgot about Korea. I can't believe that. And I did two tours in Korea. Jeez,
0: I, I lost count because <laughs> I don't have enough fingers and toes to keep track with all those assignments yeah. and. Um,
2: I think we moved seventeen times. Wow. And My husband was active duty, and um, when we moved back to Pennsylvania, I threw away every box. Like if, like the coffee pot, you know how you save the yeah. box because you move. Yeah. I threw yeah. them all away because I'm never moving again
0: wow Ever. 17 times like I, I was you know I was like i'm trying to keep up i've ran out of uh, you know yeah, <laughs> fingers and, and toes to to, to keep track
2: out of all that i forgot korea
0: so, oh wow yeah. what well, was that at, um um what 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 base was it at at over in korea
2: so I did two tours in korea i did Songnam, where i was the commandant of the base camp for special operations command and then i was a um, liaison aviation liaison officer in, um, uh, Songnam. And then the other one was in, um, Seoul.
0: Oh, wow. geez, We could spend the rest of the time just talking about that experience, but wow, that, that, that's pretty amazing.
2: I love Korea. I'd go back to Korea tomorrow. I love Korea. Um, a lot of fun. They love Americans. Um, tactically, you know, when you're doing a military exercise, it's just so much fun to see, you know, the interaction and, you know, show up to a job and they go, Oh, you're a woman. Cause I, you know, I was with a special operations command and they thought, of course, I guess Tracy is a, you know, can go either way for either gender and they just thought I was a man. So they were like, ah, you could be the base camp commandant. Like, Oh, how's that going to work for me? with 600 special, you know, special ops guys. And they were like, well, you'll make it work. And it did work. It was, it actually worked out really well. It was a lot of fun, but, um, and I learned a lot from those guys, but, they're a different breed. Yeah. Just real different <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Aviation wow. and, and uh, special ops. Somehow we made it work, but it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Cause I, I, you touched upon that. I mean, this is what we're flown really good here. Cause I, I want to ask you, like, what is your favorite military experience? I know that's a uh, tough question because there's so many. I know if I was asked that, I'd uh, I'd have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I'd have to think you know about what?
2: that. I have to tell you, I think my favorite experience was in the UK. I was a foreign liaison and the UK had two prime ministers that I worked with. The first was Gordon Brown and the second was David Cameron. And I would be expected to go from the Ministry of Defense to 10 Downing Street to brief on current you know, issues, whether it be downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan, whether it be um, in the four ice community, whatever. And Gordon Brown was very difficult and very kind of dismissive. But David Cameron was a rock star. He was just so nice and so easy to work with. And he had called me over. It was late in the day, like 4.30 or 5. And, you know, we're talking and it's getting to be 6. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm really hungry. And I'm thinking that in my head. And he's like, I am so sorry. I haven't offered you anything. And it's, you know, it's tea time. Would you like something? I'm like, I can't have the prime minister make me a sandwich. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, wow. no I'm, I'm I'm good. Like, he's like, no, let's just go get. Something to eat. I'm like, really? Like, this is so weird. You're so normal. Yeah. Um. Just the pomp and circumstance of the UK was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. The UK is so different in the way they their military operates, and they know each other because they're obviously a much much smaller, and they know each other from Sandhurst all the way through their careers, and they interface because they're it's a regimental system. Um. So showing up as a woman, they again thought I was man, which I seem to get that a lot. Um, And it was fun because it was surprising. They were like, oh, yeah, you're a woman. Okay. Why is that a problem? Um, And the next day I found out it was a problem because they all would come in It's open floor plan. No one has a cubby or even a wall around their desk and everyone comes in and changes at their wall lockers, which are on the outskirt on the outer edge of the office. So they're all shucking down, but they're all men. And now I'm there and I'm like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I have a son, I have a husband, whatever. Um, and they were all uncomfortable. So I got little placards like, Hey, more sit-ups. Hey, you're you are doing fine and they were like oh we thought we'd bother you I'm like no um you don't bother me whatever yeah. <laughs> um but they it was funny how their system is so different like we'd go for lunch every day and they would have a, a pint of beer at lunch well I can't drink two pints of beer at lunch and function yeah so it was really weird but after a while you get used to going to lunch and that's when you get a lot of work done and you know, they have tea time. And when it's your turn, you better be bringing the cookies. They call them biscuits. And they don't care what rank you are. If it's your time, you do it. And it was a lot of fun. They were just very easy to work with um, very much um, partners in the war on terror in Afghanistan and Iraq um had a lot of good experiences from Northern Ireland to share um and it was a good partnership a really great experience to see their dedication um to solving roadside bombs and to hunting the terrorists a lot of whom lived in their own country oh wow which was for them they have a huge um radical um, Islamic um citizen in right in London
1: yeah
0: so.
2: It was tough but they they are great to work with, great fun. Um you know, if you are okay with drinking beer at lunch.
0: Yeah, that that sounds pretty <laughs> I th- I think I can get used to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think we'd I think we'd get a lot more done sometimes yeah. if we had the same approach. it takes um, the
0: edge off a little bit. You know, you know, we need a little something to take the edge off and that, I think that's a a a healthy with intent way to do it. <laughs>
2: It's funny. They get the same amount of work done, but they just have a different approach. And uh, it's not the be there at six in the morning and be there till eight at night. It's let's work, you know, efficiently, get the job done and then relax. But a lot of work gets done over a beer. Yeah. A lot gets done after hours or, you know, when you're running from, um, you know, the base of the um, Edinburgh Castle up the, you know, street, which, yeah, yeah that's a hell of a hill.
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. I was there a few years back. There's there's some really cool pubs along that that Edinburgh. That, <laughs> there was that one. It was really cool. Like, really, like it, it's that's a really cool place. Uh, but there's something to be said with like quality over quantity, you know, like quality time over. OK, yeah, we have 12 hours, but if you could get f- five hours worth of work done over that range, I, I think that's more. And I think that gives people more range and incentivizes. And that, that, that sounds pretty encouraging. Honestly,
2: it it honestly is. And it's funny. They their system is so different. Like their children go to boarding school as the parents move around from assignment to assignment. They just you know, I think at eight they put their kids in boarding schools to give them stability. And, you know, at, at first I was like, oh, that's crazy. But now I look and I think actually that might be better for some parents, you know, whose kids are, you know, having a tough time with the constant moving of U.S. military forces to give parents that option. Makes yeah. good sense, but um, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed the Queen's birthday um parade. I enjoyed the pomp and circumstance of you know meeting the um, Prince Charles and and my boss was knighted while I was there, which huh, wow. was an amazing ceremony to go to. Um, you know having the protocol of you know you don't curtsy to Prince Charles. I, I, I it, it was a huge learning curve. I, I wore a lot of hats, which um, I as an American was not accustomed to, but you know, you have to wear a hat yeah. in Queens. They prayed and I had no idea how to you buy it. You literally were
0: wearing a lot of hats.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh. literally wearing a lot of, it was crazy, wow. but it was a lot of fun. My children loved it. Um, it's a great opportunity to do those kind of weird jobs that are not the traditional postings. So it was fun. Yeah.
0: Wow. How about that? That that sounds like a a Netflix special they can make. (laughs) Seriously, to account for all that, that'd be a great Netflix. Hey, Netflix, if you're listening. no,
2: Just seeing your kids enrolled in school. I I remember, you know, my two little ones were little, they were in uh, second and third grade. And the, the, um, the uh, school supply list had a box of rubbers and I was like, excuse me, what? So I, being the American that I am, stomped up to school the next day. And I said, why does my son need a box of rubbers in third grade? And she looked at me. She's like, oh, I think you call them erasers.
0: <laughs> uh, wow. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hey, that's the pitch for the show right there. The rest is. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, the cultural. Um, yeah, we had some really interesting times trying to figure out what things were.
0: Oh, it, wow. was,
2: uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: That that's that's pretty cool. Thanks. That that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. that that's that that that's really, I, I you know that that's what's great about this this um what I like most about the veteran power is to highlight that, that those sort of stories and experiences because you know sometimes we just don't get get that time that quality time to to share yeah. those experiences.
2: Well, it's funny because you know when people are given opportunities that they maybe didn't expect. If they're so focused on their career, oh, I, I, I can't deviate from my path to success. Well, sometimes your path to success is not what you think it is. Because yeah. I would never in a million years said, oh, I should go to Korea. Well, that wasn't really where I wanted to go, but it was a great experience. And I learned so much about working with an allied military and being part of a joint task force and going to the UK, working with the Australians, working with the Canadians, and looking at the four eyes community and why it's so important to be able to reach out and solve problems that I I really, except for being involved with an IED, I really didn't, I don't have an engineering background, I didn't have any of the quote-unquote prerequisites to work at Jiedo, but I got that job and it was an eye opener. And I think you have to be open to those unusual kind of one-off experiences that maybe open the door to someone in your life that becomes a lifelong friend. I've made some friends from the UK that I still stay in contact with. I still go to see and they're great friends and they've become part of, you know, the fabric of my life that, you know, I never would have envisioned. And it's great. It's really enhanced my, uh, my friendships.
0: Oh wow. That that that's that's really great to hear. Um I'd like to ask this question. Um what would the current Tracy say to the then Tracy just entering the US Army?
2: Mm, oh wow. <laughs> um wow. I think I would tell myself to be open to whichever path the army presented. Yeah. Um I learned later in my career that I, you know, there were opportunities that I didn't take um, that I think I should have maybe given more scrutiny to. Um, I turned down being a general's aide. That sounded to me the most boring job in the world. Yeah. And, you know, then later in my career, I was XO to a three star. And I think it would have helped me to have had that experience previously. Um, I had an opportunity to um, get a master's degree on the Army. And I just didn't feel like it was the right time for me. So I think you have to kind of look at your career and not with the rank in mind, but with the most personal satisfaction. And probably the most important thing I think I would have told myself is if you die tomorrow, there's 50 people to take your job.
1: Yeah. Make
2: sure you balance the family. Make sure you put your priorities with the things that are most important, your marriage, your children, your family, your friends, because that is what will sustain you through the really tough times. And there will be tough times, but yeah. it can't always be career first.
0: Wow. that That's great advice. Cause it's, it's easy to, uh, I don't want to say we're, we're, we're almost passively conditioned for that from, you know, from basic training and a hey, mission right. first mission first. And then we're, we, we play catch up. we trying to Okay, let's do life work balance and quality control piece. So right. just yeah,
2: right. We don't and and that came that hit me in the face when um, Major General Harry Green died. Harry Green had been my boss and he uh, would come to London quite frequently and he always. He was such a funny guy. He would always say, in fact, when he was a full colonel and he was in the position, he said, um, who would have thought the slightly overweight, nerdy Jewish guy would become a general? And we would always laugh like he just was a jokester. He was just funny. And he'd come to London and he'd say, "Ah, I don't I don't want to be imposing. So let's I don't want you to make dinner for me. I was like, "Oh no, it's no problem." And then I figured out he just wanted to go to this thousand-year-old pub called the Royal Standard. He just loved to go there. And he, when he um, was killed in Afghanistan, um, it brought it all back to him having a conversation with both my husband and I um, before we left for London. And he said, "Listen, you know, this is a phenomenal opportunity." but you guys have to make your family first. I'd been gone for a long time with Iraq and Afghanistan deployments. And this was the first time we were going to be together in two years as a family. And he really said, look, enjoy the assignment, but make sure you put your family first. His words when he was killed came ringing back in my head. And um, so we've always, even now I always try to, you know, carve that time out. For my family, and if that means that my grandkids come with me to the farm show and watch me milk a cow very poorly, then they go to the farm <laughs> yeah. show and laugh at Gigi trying to figure out how to milk a cow.
1: Oh
0: wow! So
2: it is about balance, but it's yeah. about your family first. Uh,
0: more great advice. It's it's so uh, encouraging and re- refreshing to to hear that because it's. I think that's why every branch of service and corporations, you name any, any organization, any structure has core values. Right. And then, you know, we we have to be reminded of it because life can just throw a lot out of us and it helps us ground us out. So having these, these, these conversations and these reminders directly from experience puts it really into perspective of how important that is. So
2: it really does. Yeah, I agree.
0: Thank Um. So I, I'd like to transition to, uh, you know you know the great things you you're doing as a Pennsylvania state representative so how did tracy pennycook become the pa state representative of the 147th legislative district in the pennsylvania house of representatives
2: so marcy tople was the was the representative and she was retiring and i was asked um to throw my name into the ring and i I will be the first one to tell you, I'm not a politician. I'm not that polished, um, political type. And everyone who I talked to said, that's why we want you to run because you're not there for the long haul. You're not there for the retirement. You're not there to, you know, get all the perks you're yeah. going to get stuff done. And so I ran and I won and, um, I focused my attention on veterans issues because that's where my heart lies. Yeah. Um, I, I, Veterans is a very sexy word. Everyone throws it around, but I don't see substantive change in the veteran community to make veterans' lives better. And that's what I want to do, is make veterans the priority, um, both in funding and in programs, and so that they can live their best lives. And they have all the tools at their disposal to do that.
0: Well, wow, wow. That, that, as a veteran myself, That that's very encouraging to hear and um refreshing to hear um because it it does yeah word does get thrown a lot yeah oh we're veteran friendly or we're veteran this well substantiate that you know um last in last week's episode i was like well done is better than well said by ben franklin right you know it's like hey okay that's great you're 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 veteran friends so so hearing about that and, and and you representing the 147th legislative district you know speaks to you know putting that sort of words into fruition right so w- what are some of the veteran legislations you are working on to share us a little bit because honestly i'll be honest with you i i have a general conceptualization of what a state representative does i mean <laughs> we-, we we access the information and what we-, we hear but w- what are some of the behind the scenes stuff can you talk a little bit about that yep. and to-, to highlight some of that because that would be great to hear
2: So I'm on the Veterans um, Committee, and I'll give you a rundown of some of the bills I'm working on. And the first one is a little controversial, but I'm 180% behind it. It's the public health benefits of the psilocybin act. And what this would allow is a clinical trial of psilocybin, also known as magic mushrooms, for the treatment of combat veterans with PTSD or medical or I'm sorry, military sexual trauma. Okay. And Texas has passed this bill and they are in the clinical trial phase now with Baylor and it is unbelievable the success they've had four or five doses of micro dosing of the psilocybin in the controlled environment under the care of a therapist and a doctor and these combat veterans um, all of them right now are special ops are coming out completely symptom-free of ptsd and that to me is a game changer and we owe it to our veterans to try new treatments. The VA um, I don't know why the federal government is so kind of anti- But in order to get the funding, we have to have a law in place. So we're working on that. That should come out in March in committee and then be on the floor in April. The the other, um, I just had a resolution that came um, out of committee and it establishes a task force on women's veterans health care. And that's important in Pennsylvania because we have 71,000 female veterans. Wow. And we're not hitting the mark on providing them with adequate health care. Basic stuff. Yeah. Um, Oh, services, infertility treatment, family planning, um, cancer screenings, mammograms, pap smears, you know, having their own clinic so that they don't have to walk into a clinic if they're victims of military sexual trauma with a room for male veterans. Um, So what that will do is that will once we've done the study and the study is only an eight month study, um, it will give us the ammunition to go back to the federal government and say, our 71,000 female veterans do not have adequate resources or access to adequate resources for their healthcare. We need you to fund more of that, which is really important. Um, I'm modifying the disabled veterans real estate tax exemption. Mm -hmm. um, And it will be a constitutional amendment and it will open up the um, real estate tax exemption to those that are missing in action and presumed dead or those that have died but were presumed or rated at 100%. So it just gives, it opens up more um, opportunity for veterans surviving spouses to be in that um, veteran tax exemption um, classification, if you will. That will be on the ballot, I believe. It has to go through the House twice, so it'll be on next year's primary. And then the last bill, well, actually, there's two more bills that I'm working on. One is the um, re-clarification is probably the best word for Act 66, which is the um, funding for VSOs within the Commonwealth, and that will just change the reporting requirements. And then the other one is reforming the Veterans Commission. Right now, the Veterans Commission is made up of, um, I used to say middle aged but they're kind of older white men and not one of them has served past Vietnam and we've been at war for 20 years and we need to have the today's veteran younger, you know, facing other issues other than filing just there for federal benefits. We've got homelessness. We have underemployment, unemployment. We've got veterans that are dealing with substance abuse, PTSD, family I mean, we've got a host of issues and, you know, just getting federal benefits isn't enough.
1: Yeah. We've
2: got to do more. And I'm I'm kind of tired of hearing, well, you know, we know what's best for you. No, you don't know what's best for me, Mr. Yeah. Vietnam Veteran. Your issue was Agent Orange. I believe that our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans are going to face issues with the burn pits. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just getting veterans to sign up for the registry is a huge deal. We should be focused on that. But then we should look at the veteran and say, what else do you need to be the best that you can be? I'm underemployed. Okay, let's talk about book rehab. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. Hey, I'm struggling with PTSD and, you know, traditional treatments at the VA are not working for me. Are you going to the vet center? Are you going to support groups? Are you working with Wounded Warrior? What are you doing to help yourself? But what can we do to help you?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And I I think the conversation has to be a holistic approach to the veteran. Hey, it's hard for a veteran to go back to school. You know, you're older, you're smarter. You've had different life experiences than those snot-nosed 18-year-old kids in college and mommy and daddy are paying the bill and it's sometimes hard to relate which is why i think at monco when they have you know their own place to go that's huge yeah you know just sometimes a place to go and say hey i'm struggling today yeah and you know getting maybe they need a service dog you know i just retired my service dog after eight years and i don't want another service dog because she still works for me at night and that's when i need her but during the day her hip bothers her. So she can't keep up with. So she lays on her bed and, you know, chews on her bone and lives her best life. But I think we need to get better about saying, is there something we can do to help? Is there more that we can be doing to help you as the veteran small? Do you need help navigating the small business loan world to start your own business? Do you not like people? I don't know. I mean, some veterans don't like to deal with the public. Maybe they need to be an accountant. And, you know, I don't know, whatever works for you, but I can tell you um, there's times that I I struggle with my PTSD and I have a really good plan in place to cope with that. And my family is very supportive, but sometimes you have to have that conversation with someone outside of your family and say, I'm having a tough time, you know, maybe I need some help. So I just think we need to look as a society at the veteran as a whole and as an individual and not label them one size fits all because veterans come in all different packages and all different sizes and we need to, you know, treat them as individuals and help them be the best they can be.
0: That's great information. I I, I love how you said, you know, there isn't a one size fits all because you know the veteran experience, whether we serve 26 years or it's it's a veteran who served four years, right? That there's a range of experiences we have, and I always like to use my my saying here is access and accountability. You know, we we want to give access points to veterans because there is an overwhelming um, amount of information out there, and and. I'm fortunate to be in the position at the Veteran Resource Center to help individuals sort through that and make sense of it so they could customize and build their customized toolbox. But I've learned over the years in a variety of positions is to take the time to listen to understand instead of listen to respond. And I I think, you know, I've seen that in a variety of different organizations where, okay, I hear you saying, but this, you know, there's a response versus a supportive sort of dialogue that that should and needs to take place and I think and I've seen it some veterans just like tap out say "The, the the heck with it but you know if you're one of those veterans listening know that there's other you know Montgomery County I mean we're focused on Montgomery County here and resources there's a lot of great resources here to help sort through that so you don't get lost in translation because um because of the the varying degrees of of, of issues you know so everything you said is again everything you're sharing today is incredibly encouraging and motivating and reinforcing a lot of things that are in progress but also identifying what we could do better as a whole and we should never stop in my opinion yeah. you know
2: you know it's funny someone um mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago oh veterans are almost like a special class yes they are yeah and they should be at the forefront of every program and We were talking about the lottery and how the, you know, a Pennsylvania lottery helps seniors. I said, well, within that senior group, there are senior veterans that should be put to the front of the line. And they all thought it was a foreign concept. And I said, well, were you an 18-year-old that didn't raise their hand but were called to Vietnam? Yeah. And people forget that. People forget that Vietnam, Korea, you weren't volunteering. You were being told to go. You were being told that, hey, you thought you were going to college. You thought you were going to start a business. You're going to war. Yeah. And that gets lost in the translation. And while we do have a volunteer force now... um, Five and six combat tours is kind of the norm. Yeah. And it got to the point where you may have volunteered for the military, but you were still solving issues from your last deployment and then you were starting your next deployment. So I think we do need to make veterans the number one priority. Um, they are the best and the brightest that we have. Um and people, I've had more than one person say, oh, you know, my choices were jail or or the army yeah. and I chose the army. How can I be the best and brightest? Well, you know what? No matter how you get to the service, the fact that you were honorably discharged just means that you are the best and the brightest. You served your country and you are less than one percent of the general population so you are the best of the best yeah. end of statement i i refuse to let anyone tell me differently because i think it's really important that those young kids because obviously i'm not that young um they are i mean who in their right mind at 18 ever says oh wow i really want to go to war i mean that just isn't what you yeah. think but we've got a lot of young brave men and women that step up and do their job and they don't expect any accolades they they just move out get it done and when they come back we owe them every debt of gratitude for that sacrifice um whether it be time whether it be a limb whether it be ptsd they all leave something behind on the battlefield um you never come home the same person um even between deployments i don't think you come home the same person
0: you know and and I have I've heard this saying like yeah I, I I left the war but, but the battle really began when I got home you know and and you know and you know I say this like half jokingly but a, a lot of these veterans have more combat deployments than Tom Brady has Super Bowl rings you know <laughs> and and you know that's it's 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 true and it's like wow and it's and, and so some of these combat especially the Army I mean Army was 15 months a tour that's a long time that that is significant uh, you know and tours usually go from four months to all the way up to 15 months and you you, you compound that by multiple um tours um yeah um and it, it just gets challenging it compounds and then it almost seems like you get lost in translations. like well yeah i had this tour like four years ago but i had similar inch and it just gets it gets challenging it you know it, you know it's very ch-
2: and it's hard to maintain marriages and relationships with children and it's hard to connect and i mean and, and listen technology has helped us tremendously with FaceTime and you know zoom calls but still it's really hard on families and it's hard on marriages and so that alone is a reason for veterans to be our number one priority
0: yeah um and we talked a little bit before the show, too. Like, you know, what we do for the veterans is good for society, too. It's a win-win. You know, there's, 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 there's correlation to applying these, these strategies and techniques and benefits to the greater population as well. We, we talk about how the veteran is a microcosm and so diverse and so, you know, arguably representative of, of the, the U.S. population, which is great because it allows us to kind of identify – what we could do, what's best for for our f- fellow human being, you know, and and veterans are a great start with that for everything we talked about today, you know, and everything you referenced. So, um, I I can't uh thank you enough for for being here. Um, is there anything else you would like to share and and, and highlight before I share some closing remarks?
2: Yeah, you know, the I think the the thing that I would like to leave um this very great conversation with is. If you're a veteran, follow your heart, follow your dream. You got one life, live it to its fullest extent. And and if you're struggling, reach out. Um, if if you're not at your where your optimum is, reach out. There's so many resources. And if someday you're just having a tough day, you just have to say to a fellow veteran or someone else that really cares about you, I'm having a tough day. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with, um expressing that and, and letting your guard down
0: and that's so important to just to take that just the acknowledgement piece is the most critical important step in that just acknowledge hey i'm having a tough day now where do i go from here I, that, that's that's challenging in and of itself but at least it's a start so yep. yes I- that th- 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 thank you for that and um Representative Penny Cook, thank you for being here today. It has been quite the honor and privilege to have you on the Veteran Power Hour. I really, I I sincerely appreciate you trusting me and coming on to support the Veteran Power Hour. And, and, you know, like I said, I was going to say thank you a lot. Thank you for your military service that has helped protect our great freedoms. And thank you for your continued service to preserve and enhance these great freedoms. This has truly been a privilege and an honor. Um, and in closing, I always ask my guests to dedicate a song to the Veteran Power Hour and to talk about the the significance of the song. And, you know, I'll start playing it once, you know, w- once we have some closing remarks here.
2: So um, I picked Lee Greenwood and I'll tell you why I picked that song. That was the first song I heard when I stepped foot in um, Maine, coming back from Desert Storm.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to play it, and I appreciate this, Tracy. This is an amazing opportunity, and take care.
2: Thanks.
1: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife thank my lucky stars to be living here today where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away